0: Hello, my name is EJ Schultz, Assistant Managing Editor of AdAge, and welcome to another edition of the Marketer's Brief Podcast. On today's episode, I'm happy to be joined by fellow AdAge journalists, Adrian Pascarelli, Jack Neff, Jessica Wall. Hello guys, how are you doing? Hi. Good. Great. So on today's episode, we are going to be talking about our annual Marketers of the Year list. We used to call this the Marketer A-List, but we've gone under a little bit of a rebranding. And essentially what this is, is every year at the end of the year, we select 10 marketers who really excelled through great marketing, excellent execution, and who have the results to show for it. So before we begin the discussion, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of the list. Uh, from And this year's list, we actually rank them for the first time. We usually just kind of name a marketer a year and then list nine additional marketers who really stood out. So starting at number 10, we have women's soccer, and we'll explain that pick in a moment. Number nine is Microsoft. Number eight is teenage environmental activist Greta Thunberg. Number seven is Ally Financial. Number six is Disney. Number five, Barbie. Number four, Target. Number three, White Claw, Hard Seltzer. Number two, Popeyes. And number one, drumroll please, Procter & Gamble. So let's start at number one, Jack. You you've covered Procter and Gamble for years. If coming into the year, if if we had said that P and G would be named our marketer of the year, I think I don't think anyone would have expected that. But but how did they pull this off in an age when a lot of people thought the the age of the you know big massive consumer package goods company was sort of yesterday's news? What what, what did they do to, to stand out this year?
1: And the amazing thing is that there's just no one thing, or maybe it's not. Amazing because uh, it's a big company. You have to do a lot of things, but um, it's really rare to have a story where you have a massive company of any kind that's that's been in trouble for a while, arguably in decline for some time, that actually executes a, a turnaround in as many ways as P and G has done, and. and Really, it's pretty comprehensive. It's a change in how they deal with agencies. It's a change in how they spend money. It's a change in how they look at advertising. It's a change in how they look at doing innovation. And a change in the organization, too. It's actually quite comprehensive. It took a number of years to to make it happen, but it it seems to be working quite well right now. So while
0: P&G was... Very successful. In reading your story, I, th- I sort of thought a couple points here might be a little bit lo- alarming for the rest, for just the media marketing industry at large. And one of them is that P&G actually rose to the top by spending less. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it, it should be fairly sobering, really, for both the media and the agency sides of the business that their recent success comes as they've uh, restrained spending on creative production and agency fees and uh, media as well. Now, in the the past couple of quarters, they've put a little bit more back into media, but uh, really, it's all about becoming a lot more disciplined in how they spend money on media and uh, uh, really in how they they spend money on agencies and and doing a whole lot of different things in terms of how they, they work with agencies, doing a lot more project work Doing a lot more work in house and uh, just uh, trying to be uh, more more sensible about where they they spend their creative dollars. Your story. You also talk about what they call
0: hands on keyboard approach. Can you explain what that means? I I believe Mark Pritchard was was talking about that.
1: Yeah, it's got a couple of aspects to it. One is just simply bringing some work in house and uh, having having in house uh, media planners do the work that outside media agencies did in in the past and using P&G's own uh, uh, data, which includes 1.5 billion uh, uh, consumer data files uh, to to, to do some of that planning. And the other part is just um, really giving their brand marketers a lot more ability to do their own work, particularly on the digital side. So if you're doing a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad, you, you may be buying that media yourself, seeing how it performs and uh, making changes on the fly yourself rather than having uh, an agency do it, which which makes sense uh, because really that's what the platforms were designed to do in the first place for everybody else. It's just that big companies tended to to, to let their agencies do that sort of work. And so a lot more in-house, most, mostly in those two areas, but uh, also even the doing entire campaigns in-house in the case of secret deodorant.
0: And I know you know in the glory days of P&G uh, they they were sort of a standard and and what they did was sort of followed by a large portion of the marketing community other companies. Do you, do you feel they've sort of reclaimed that status um, and do you, do you think other big companies are going to follow their lead on some of these things we're talking about? I mean obviously we've been writing about in-housing all year but but just the idea that they were able to to really achieve this kind of these kind of results through doing these kinds of things. I'm just curious, are, are we picking up, and Adrian and Jessica feel free to weigh in on this as well, are we picking up that other companies might be kind of following, and maybe they are, I think they already have been to some degree, but I'm just wondering after the year that P&G put together, if we're going to really see this, these trends really pick up momentum in 2020.
1: I think there's a good argument for for other companies to do it. You You already see some others doing the same things. And really, in some cases, developing it simultaneously in the case of a a Unilever, say, and and doing uh, essentially your own array of direct-to-consumer startups within the company, um, for example. Um, Everybody has their own way of doing doing the agency work, but Unilever, too, has been bringing a lot more of that in-house as well. And so... Uh, certainly among their competitive set, you see some of that going on. Really among the bigger players more than even some of the mid-sized players where they may have some catching up to do. Before
0: we leave P&G, Jack, I'm just wondering, can you point a couple of their brands, like what, are, what were some of the standout campaigns or work or tactics that, I mean, obviously they have some well-known brands, but then they had some success with some kind of startup-y stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean – among the bigger brands, uh, probably SK2 is actually one of the best examples, and it's, it's a bit of an outlier for P&G in that it's a prestige brand and a company of mass brands. But they've embraced most of the new things that P&G is trying to do from a media planning standpoint, from a creative standpoint in terms of doing more work in-house and doing more work with uh, uh, what are called the flow agencies or project work uh, uh and really, turning to, to outside creators, James Corden, John Legend, who do some very funny and easy to watch videos. Um, they're one of the better examples as far as a big brand. In terms of smaller brands, uh, they've got a they've got a host of them. They've got dozens of these uh, uh, startup projects and startup brands out there. But uh, one of the ones that's farthest furthest along is uh, Zevo, which is a, a natural bug killer brand, basically, that's uh, starting to roll into Home Depot and Target and uh, bringing in people into that business who were afraid to use bug sprays before, basically. Cool. Moving on, this, of course, was
0: also the year of the chicken sandwich. Um, Who would have thought we'd be talking about chicken sandwich marketing at the beginning of the year? But Popeye's proved us wrong. Jessica, you've covered Popeyes. You wrote the story for, for you, you wrote the marketer of the year write-up for them. How did they pull this off?
2: I have to say, I think even Popeyes was surprised by the level of success that they've had with this chicken sandwich. Obviously, they ran out after a couple of weeks. A lot of it was driven by social media. They have Chick-fil-A to thank for one of the most talked about tweets of the year, that y'all good tweet that was sent out after Chick-fil-A wrote about its own chicken sandwich as the original. So a lot of this kept, the momentum kept building, but that's really the the apex of it all, was that social media played a part, Twitter responded, consumers were bragging about getting the sandwich, talking about getting the sandwich, telling their friends about getting the sandwich. It was the perfect viral opportunity. And fried chicken is just good. People like fried chicken. (laughs) Newsflash.
0: But when's the last time we've even really written about Popeyes? And, you know, I just they'd never been, at least in my time at that age, been considered this great, you know, marketing company. It just it just really kind of came out of nowhere.
2: It did. It took a little bit of building. Uh, Once Restaurant Brands International, which owns Burger King and Tim Hortons, acquired Popeyes, that helped put a bit of a marketing spotlight on the brand that it perhaps had been lacking under its own ownership. Not to say that it didn't have any marketing. It has marketing. It has Annie, the spokeswoman character, who's had for for some years now, created by GSDNM. It's had, you know, the love that chicken from Popeyes jingle, and all of those things have been in the marketplace for a while. But it, there was no compelling reason for someone to go to Popeyes and try something new. Sure, they had limited time offers, just like any other fast food chain. But there was not something that really compelled people to connect with the brand in a way that this chicken sandwich is just making everybody go gaga.
0: So we don't have time probably to go through every one of our companies, but I do want to hit some highlights. I want to talk just quickly about White Claw, number three on our list. Of course, the hard seltzer brand that sort of owned the summer when it comes to alcoholic beverages. Uh, The interesting thing about White Claw, they're actually owned by Mark Anthony Brands, which is the maker of Mike's Hard Lemonade. Um, it, it really, they're coming to number three on their list, and their selection is to me kind of symbolic. Though we do have the PNG, the, the Goliath on here, that has sort of reinvented itself. A few of our brands are on the list. Are these pluckier companies like White Claw, that came out of nowhere, or White Claw's brand owned by Mark Anthony Brands, but kind of came out of nowhere and really outperformed the two giants in the beer space, Anheuser Busch and Miller Coors, and figured out that hard seltzers are not necessarily just for women. They're, they took this very smart, gender neutral marketing approach and the brand really caught fire over the summer. Aided, they got a little bit of luck. Uh, Trevor Wallace, the comedian, did sort of a spoof video um, on White Claw and that went viral and he sort of coined the phrase, ain't no laws when you're drinking Claws. And that went viral. And it's just a combination of factors. They're growing like crazy, and a lot of the alcoholic alcohol uh, analysts and experts say this is the biggest thing in the alcohol space since Miller Lite sort of disrupted the beer category back in the '70s and created the first mainstream light beer. Um, The good thing, good news for the beer industry, is that hard seltzer is, is something that brewers can create themselves. It's 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 basically fermented sugar. So it's giving a little bit of hope to these kind of big, massive brewers that if they can kind of successfully pivot into the hard seltzer space, that they can, you know, reclaim some of the momentum that's been stolen by the spirits and wine brands. Of course, spirits brands make hard seltzer. Basically, everyone's making hard seltzer, but White Claw is just absolutely dominating the category, you know, more than like something like 40% market share. Um, so that's White Claw. Adrian, I want to bring you in and talk, talk about a couple of the, the companies' brands you, you wrote about for our list. Target, is number four, I I would sort of categorize them along the lines of P&G, right? Big, long established company um, that really figured out a way to get ahead when a lot of other retailers sort of really stumbled this year, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, Target's been a big success story. Uh, A few years ago, things were not so Rosie, I mean, they had a, a customer data breach, they were in trouble, they kind of had to regroup and they said, we're gonna put $10 billion back into the company. They launched a bunch of their own uh, private label brands, um, which they've they've done for the, the past couple of years. Um, and they redesigned some of the stores. Um, this year they had a big new partnership with Disney, um, for some shop and shops in a a handful of stores and they're going to expand that next year. And they also more recently revamped their loyalty program. And all of that really paid off. I think it was super apparent uh, in this recent quarter when they came back with these great results and everybody else, all their competition um, was not so fortunate. Um, And I think that led to one headline was target can't save all of retail uh, which kind of sums it up. Uh, and that continued over this past weekend. Um, the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, shopper traffic at Target stores was up 14%, which is great. That's year over year.
0: Do you think this is something, I mean, do, do you think what they build is sustainable that, that they're going to continue to sort of, re, you know, outperform some of their competition? Or do you see signs that other retailers might have a, a chance to um, kind of steal some of their thunder?
3: well i think what's interesting is the um their own brands and that's something that other competitors can easily copy and they and they have been um and obviously target can't keep adding to that they have um they have a few dozen of those uh more than 30 in-house labels now um they can't keep growing that what they have to do is make sure that those brands each are sustainable on their own, that they're not cannibalizing each other and and that kind of thing. And um, this loyalty program, they have to make sure that they are offering compelling rewards and that kind of thing to keep shoppers in the mix and coming back and make sure they're getting the valuable data from those shoppers um, for themselves.
0: And they're also collaborating with another company on our list, Disney. Um, Can you talk about that?
3: Yeah, that's so funny that Disney and Target are both on the list um, because they both had really blockbuster years. Um, so so Target uh, went went in a partnership with Disney and put shop and shops, Disney shop and shops in about 25 of their stores. And they've seen traffic spike in those stores and they're going to increase the number um, and add a, another bunch in 2020, 40 additional stores. Um, and yeah, Disney's had a, had a great year too. I mean, you look at all the The movies they've had with the Marvel and they just had Frozen 2. And then, of course, we can't forget about Disney Plus.
0: And I believe Target and Disney are hooking up in some way to promote the Star Wars film uh, soon, right?
2: Over the weekend, they had a thing in some of the stores. So they're already doing it, even though the movie doesn't come out for a few more weeks.
3: Yeah, and I think we'll probably see, uh, or if we're not already this week, last week, uh, seeing Baby Yoda in in stores and Target stores too, um, because that's been a big phenomenon for uh, for Disney as well with the Star Wars.
0: Baby character. Yoda is probably worth an entire separate podcast, and even getting into the details if it is actually Baby Yoda, which I don't think it is, right?
2: Well, I think we need to get that guy who has the tattoo with holding the white claw. Because then it covers two topics on the list. We didn't talk yet about Barbie, did we? I think that Barbie is an interesting brand choice this year, too. Adrian, do you want to talk about that revolution?
3: Yeah, Barbie's super interesting. Um, I talked to one shopper who uh, had a daughter in the 1980s, and uh, she, the daughter really wanted a Barbie. And, and the mom said, no. She had this. She said this great thing: how they're all skinny and tan and blonde, and all they cared about, in between all the tight clothing and the short clothing, was impressing Ken. And that kind of spelled it out for a lot of shoppers of that era, kind of the eighties and nineties. Um, and it wasn't until the last couple of years that this brand, which is now sixty years old, it's been around for a long time, decided to, like Target, kind of go back to, to basics and reinvest. In the brand switched things up and they rolled out uh, a more diverse lineup with um, body type and ethnicity and um, kind of did did some partnerships with real life women and reinvested in their marketing, kind of going to this message of inclusivity, diversity, the power of play, and that has made them into one of parent company Mattel's best performing brands.
0: So we already talked about Disney a little bit. I mean, they check in at number uh, six on our list. I mean, what more is there to say about Disney other than that they pretty much rule the world right now, right?
2: (laughs) They are all over the place. I mean, they're doing so many different things. I think that's what makes it so interesting is it's not one movie or one franchise. It's so many different things going on at once. And that juggle is really interesting to watch.
0: Have any of you guys signed up for Disney Plus? Anyone have any personal experiences they want to share?
2: It's going to be a family gift for us this holiday season. Yes. So
0: what's the first thing you're going to watch?
2: uh the first thing my husband wants to watch is the mandalorian i don't know the first thing i'm gonna watch probably some really obscure 80s movie that my kids will hate but i'll make them watch anyway to try to relive my own childhood do they have muppet babies that was a good show
0: okay there we go breaking news from jessica (laughs)
2: <laughs> Stay tuned for my review of Muppet Babies.
0: So, rounding out our list, we have Ally uh, Financial there at number seven, um, and then uh, Greta Thunberg, who is the um, teenage environmental activist. I mean, we we write a lot about companies trying to make statements on the environment, you know, cause marketing, and it turns out that this year, I mean, the, really, the the person that arguably brought the most attention to climate change was was Greta, which is a pretty interesting uh, test case uh, in just sort of the power of personality and the power of uh, her narrative. Does anyone want to talk about Greta and kind of their impressions?
2: I feel like she just not came out of the blue, but all of a sudden it was the only name you heard talking about the environment. Her name was the only name out there. The UN obviously had a lot to do with that, but when do you see an activist like this who gets a font and a following and gets tweeted by President Trump? I mean, there's so many different things that unfolded in a relatively short amount of time. And she seemed to handle it all with str- taking, you know,
0: taking it all in stride. Yeah, I mean, the Trump thing kind of speaks to just I mean, that probably boosted her reputation amongst people who care about climate change, if anything, right? The fact that he was paying attention to her and I know he got criticized for his tweet, but in, in a sense, it probably boosted her cause. So we also have Ally Financial on the list, as I mentioned. Um, pretty interesting story on Ally. Adrian, you cover them a little bit. Any impressions on Ally and sort of what they did this year? I think they, they a lot of what they did was pretty interesting in terms of, I mean, banking is, is a category that is kind of tough to humanize. But they really did some interesting marketing um, that really I think struck an emotional chord with with their consumers. They did something called Banksgiving that is sort of a twist on Thanksgiving, which was basically giving out money and prizes and things. But they did it in a in a sort of an interesting way.
3: Yeah, they've been trying to really connect uh, on that kind of emotional level with with consumers a couple of years ago, they, they did this bank reviews, um, where you could actually rate your bank, like, like you would a, a sushi restaurant. And that's kind of cut through some of the other financial clutter out there, um, and really humanized the brand, um, for them. Uh, I think for, for banks giving, they, they had, uh, they gave out money to to women to people who did charity work um, in one case they gave fifty thousand dollars to a woman who gives out uh, holiday baskets to those in need um, and this year they did a a they let a, a woman and her daughter um, stay rent free in in her their home for a year, part of a, a paying it back, paying it forward type type program. They've also done some um, augmented reality uh, and some interesting things with augmented reality in terms of a uh, recent monopoly game um, that's that's paid off for them, kind of making banks fun again with with gaming and that kind of thing.
0: And and we've talked about some of these companies and how you know their their relations with agencies and bringing things in-house might uh, be sort of a um, warning sign for agencies but ally actually did something pretty interesting in the recent agency review too that I believe they, they actually paid agencies to participate even those that didn't win. Uh, Adrian. I think you covered that too. Do you want to touch on that quickly?
3: Yeah, they. this was, I think, last year, uh, 2018, they paid um, anyone, or they paid, I think, the top five in each category. They did digital and media and creative, and they paid them to participate, which was pretty unheard of, especially at a time when agencies are really grappling for that business. Uh, and now, as you said, we do see so much work so much work going in-house, um, especially with a lot of the companies on on this list. And uh, Ally seems to have a great relationship with with the agencies that that they work with, um, Anomaly and, and RGA, to name to name two of them.
0: So there you go. The agencies can cheer the selection of, of Ally on our list uh, this year. Uh, Moving on quickly, just rounding this out, uh, we have Microsoft on our list at number nine. Again, you can read in detail about all these companies on adh.com. But quickly, I think in Microsoft's case, I mean, we read so much in the last year about, you know, a lot of the uh, lawmakers, regulators going after Google, Facebook. Microsoft, to some extent, has been able to stay out of the fray when it comes to that stuff. I mean, they even got some attention for pushing... uh, What they characterize as a more proactive approach, um, claiming they would adopt the the California Consumer Privacy Protection Act, um, you know, stipulations and even kind of try to push push it further. So I think that at least from a corporate PR perspective was a shrewd move. Um, And again, you could read about a lot of the other stuff that Microsoft did in the past year that impressed us. On adh.com. Uh, finally, number ten is women's soccer. Um, a huge year for the sport. Obviously, a ton of buzz coming off the World Cup. Um, Megan Rapino became a superstar this year. Um, we we decided to, to group all that together, though, as as women's U.S. women's soccer, rather than specifically pointing to the to the U.S. team or the National Women's Soccer League, which is the pro league that uh, has actually had a pretty good year. I mean, their attendance was up after the world cup appearance. The the, the thing that we'll be watching on them is this, if, is if this momentum continues into next year, traditionally the game gets a bump after the world cup. Um, but, but we're impressed by some larger things going on within the sport um, that we think hold a lot of promise. Um, they, they're in the midst of renegotiating, trying to find a new TV partner or, they, they hooked up with ESPN at the tail end of uh, this season. Um, you know, they recently brought in an octagon to help negotiate their media rights deal. So there's a lot of activity there. The, the league itself, uh, so which, when I'm talking about National Women's Soccer League, um, they're expanding next year. They're, are, they're bringing on Louisville in the next couple of years. There's reported interest from other cities. So obviously soccer, the sport itself, has been hot. So it's nice to see the women's game getting its uh, fair attention guys have any um, impressions on soccer?
2: I think it had, you know, it has, it's definitely had a moment in 2019. The question is, will it be sustainable, particularly in the years when there isn't World Cup game, you know, when there aren't the the, the constant churn of World Cup coverage and things like that? I think these women in particular are just really, really good at navigating the media landscape. Rapino in particular, she's just a standout when you see her on stage, when you see her uh doing things like that announcement that they made that Budweiser is gonna be sponsoring the league and looking out for other sponsors. EJ, I know you mentioned that in your write up um, on women's soccer. And I think that, you know, there aren't very many athletes or personalities out there who could handle that in a way that sounds genuine and and, and earnest uh when you're one of the most famous people in the world right now she just did it really well
0: yeah totally uh the Budweiser thing i thought was a it was a pretty um shrewd campaign you can read about that on ad age so that's our list um one through ten ranked for the first time uh so feel free to uh praise us complain to us offer suggestions on companies we might have missed you know we're we're open to all feedback including for this podcast so Want to remind folks to comment and, and rate the podcast if you can. It's available on all podcast players. I want to, again, thank thank Jessica Wall, Adrian Pascarelli, Jack Neff for joining us on this uh, week's edition. And want to thank our producer, Max Sternlich, and invite you all to subscribe to this podcast, rate us, comment, and we'll catch you next time.